How many of you know that the Sermon of the Mount begins with the topic of the law? And it tells us that Jesus did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but rather to fulfill it. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, we find these words. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, that's not my main goal. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, if you just take something away and don't give you something in return, like taking a little toy away from a child and not giving them a better toy, maybe. I wouldn't mind if the bank took away my car, if they gave me a better car. So Jesus is hinting here that I've got a better plan for you. He says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? At first glance, we can misinterpret this scripture. It appears to say that Jesus was telling his listeners and trying to communicate even to us that they needed or we needed to be better at keeping the law than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had been doing. But then you have to ask yourself, how is that congruent? How is that cohesive? How is that compatible with the new covenant of grace? Just ask yourself that question. Well, it's simply not. So we have a conundrum we have to figure out here. Okay. And as you course your way through the Sermon on the Mount, you'll discover that it's completely void of the new covenant of grace. It's missing. It's not on the landscape. Did you know the Sermon on the Mount never once mentions the cross? It never once mentions Jesus' death, His burial. It never mentions His resurrection. Jesus was speaking to a Jewish audience who at that time were under the law. They were under what was known as the law. And He told His audience in those Scriptures, if they wanted to enter into the kingdom of heaven, that their righteousness had to go beyond. Surpass doesn't mean you inch your way beyond. It means way beyond. So if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But you have to ask the question, how could that be accomplished? After all, the Pharisees were experts in the law. The teachers of the law were experts in the law. So 
I have to ask a question that comes to my heart this morning. What was wrong with the Pharisees' righteousness? Think about it. What was missing? What did it lack? What was lacking with the Pharisees' righteousness? Well, as I always say, it was rules without relationship and function without faith. Motion, function, without faith. The only faith that they were concerned about was faith in their own good performance. They were as unyielding as it gets, and they refused the very grace of God, even though Jesus, the Son of God, and the foundation of grace stood right there in front of them. Friends, don't think it strange when the religious system, religious folks, if you will, reject the finished work of grace. They did it to Jesus. They did it to Him. You say, how could anybody reject Jesus? Boy, I wish I had the answer to that. Because they were so steeped in seeing things a certain way. Anything that colored outside of those paradigms, they just didn't embrace it. The simplicity of the Sermon on the Mount concludes not with obedience or adherence to the entire content of the Sermon on the Mount, but as to what, or maybe even a better way to say it, as to who the house is built on. See, that's how it wraps it up in chapter 7 there. You see, the house is you and me, and it represents our entire lives. It's not just one aspect of our lives. It's the entire life of man. And the rock, well, it speaks of Jesus. Our salvation is once for all and all at once and has been built upon the unmovable rock, namely Jesus Christ. That's who we're built upon. These are Jesus' final words from the Sermon on the Mount. We find them in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Look what he says. He says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words, which words? All the ones he started over here, blessed, 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 blessed. He works his way through, do not murder all the different things that he covers there. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose. And the winds blew and beat against that house. Friends, this is life. The rains fall sometimes. And the scriptures tell us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, but the sun rises on the good and the evil. Isn't this the grace of God? That God doesn't allow the sun that he hung in the sky to only rise on the righteous. He's so good, he's saying that even the wicked need the sun. The unrighteous need the sun. The rain came down in the streams, rose, the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet, look at these words, yet it did not fall. Come on you got to say that inside your own heart. I will not fall. And it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So, whether we stand or we fall is determined by what we're built upon. Is that right? That's what it's saying here, isn't it? And as we celebrate communion, the communion meal today, what we do is we put ourselves in remembrance that we were not baptized into Moses, but rather we were baptized into Christ Jesus. In other words, we did not go under in baptism under the law, but we went under in baptism under grace. That's why the scriptures say you are no longer under the law, but under grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-4, through 4, we find these words. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. Look at these words now. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Even back then, as the Israelites journeyed through the desert, as they wandered, as I think is a better way to say it, as they just wandered through the desert, when it came time to be watered, God in His goodness watered them. When it came time for manna to fall from heaven, God in His goodness gave them manna. When it came time to give them rest, God gave them rest. This is a good father. He's a good guy. That's what I'm celebrating as I take communion. I'm celebrating the goodness of God. I'm celebrating His love. I'm putting myself in remembrance that He's always been good. We look back and back and back and back and we see nothing but the goodness of God. Drinking from the rock is to drink the blood of the new covenant. Rock with a capital R. That rock is Christ, remember? And so to drink from that rock is to drink the blood of the new covenant. There is no thing or no one that can save us, that will mean as much to us than Jesus. Man can follow or man can even swallow the entire Sermon on the Mount to the letter and still be lost. You see, our new heart's goal is not to swallow the letter. <laughs> our new heart's goal is to exalt Christ. It's to lift up Christ. It's to magnify Christ in our own hearts, in our own minds. Magnify Him. To set Him apart as Lord. Magnifying Him. Loving Him. Allowing Him to love on you. And remind you who you are in Him. And in doing so, it will have the appearance as though we had set out to fulfill the Sermon on the Mount. Our lives should look like that 
without us even trying because that is the fruit of our lives. It's just fulfilled naturally in us, supernaturally. So it has the appearance as though we had set out to fulfill the Sermon on the Mount when in reality the Sermon on the Mount was replaced with the Son on the Mount. Just get rid of the E-R-M and bring them together and you have the Son on the Mount. The foundation of the house, how many of you know is the most important component? It's the most important part of the structure. And when our foundation in Jesus Christ is built upon, come on, the finished work of grace. When your foundation is built upon the finished work of grace, the Son on the Mount, that's who He is, then the believer will develop in an unshakable and secure faith. That's where unshakable faith comes from, is we remind ourselves who we're built upon. I think we lose that sense of security, that sense of surety, that sense of faith when we start trusting in our own riches, our own strength, our own intellect. We begin to lose. We begin to distance ourselves from the truths that the foundation is Christ, the rock. Can we improve upon Jesus' teachings? Think about it. Sermon on the Mount, can you improve upon his teachings? That would be preposterous. However, the Sermon on the Mount was never intended to be used as our blueprint for daily living. Not in the New Covenant. The Sermon on the Mount adhered to as our means of righteousness is about as useless as a swimming pool with no water. It's just a hole. That's all. You have holes everywhere. And that was Jesus' point. The Sermon on the Mount, as one's only path to righteousness, was an impossible standard. You will always come up short. It was a righteousness that was built upon sand, sinking sand. It could not be attained through flesh and blood. However, the instruction that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount, like I said before, becomes the fruit of the finished work of the Gospel. Friends, as we celebrate Jesus' death this morning, we celebrate His burial and even more so His resurrection, we remind ourselves of the finished work of the cross. Today we put ourselves in remembrance that what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering for you and me us and we. It was love that saved us. That's what I celebrate today. It wasn't the law that saved me because then I would be celebrating me. I'd be celebrating my ability to keep it. I would grab my own suspenders and pull them out and say, look what I've done. No! Look what he's done. 
Look what Jesus has done. So when I celebrate communion, whether I'm here with the body or by myself, I always put myself in remembrance of what Jesus has done for me. It was love that saved us, not the law. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus through the communion meal, we consider the truth that our righteousness is built upon the rock and that rock was Christ. Amen? I'm going to ask Fred and Judy to come and distribute the communion elements. And if you'll just hold them in your hands until the time comes and we can just take them together. Isn't the Father good? Communion is made for you. I don't care who you are. Don't pass on it. Communion is made for you. If you belong to Jesus, communion belongs to you. Your behavior doesn't count in terms of when it comes to communion. You are never disqualified from communion because of behavior. Take the communion. Take it. Take it. Absolutely take it. It belongs to you. It's our inheritance. It belongs to us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus. Thank you for your sweet, precious Holy Spirit. Thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit. Communion is made for every believer. Every believer. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Father. I want you to take in that, that bread in your hand that represents the body of Christ. You know what? There's not two pieces in here that are identical. But yet in Christ we are made identical. We are all sons and daughters. We have different personalities. We're in different places on the journey. And that's okay. What remains steady and the same is Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're holding what represents the body. Come on. The body of Christ. A body that was nailed to an old rugged cross. A body that bled real blood. A man that suffered in our place. What love? Why would He do something like that? Because He loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He saved us so that He could redeem us out of our empty way of life. You know what the empty way of life was? It was the law. It was trying to do it yourself. He saved us from that. He saved us from the trickery of the enemy. He saved us from ourselves. He saved us from our sin. He saved us. This is my privilege. This is my pleasure. This is my honor to remember the sacrificed body of Jesus. Beautiful. The Scriptures say, For I received of the Lord that which I also passed unto you, the Lord Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had 
broken it. He handed it to his disciples. He passed it across the table as a way of uniting himself to each one of them. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take this. Eat this in remembrance of me. Shall we take it together? Thank you, Jesus. I love the gluten-free body of Jesus. (laughs) The Scriptures tell us on the same night. Why would it say that? Because he wants us to know there weren't two separate events. That the body always belongs with the blood. If you have one without the other, you don't have it. You don't have salvation. It's the body and the blood. On the same night, Scriptures say he took the cup. And when he had lifted it up, he said that right there represents the new covenant in my blood. That's the new covenant. It's coming. It's already at hand. That's the new covenant in my blood. He said, take it and drink it. And he said, as often as you do it, as often as you drink of this cup, he said, I want you to do it in remembrance of me, remembrance of my goodness, remembrance of my sacrifice, remembrance of the Father's love for you. Can we take his cup together? Jesus said, that's my cup. But I share my cup with you. Father, thank you so much. I love communion. A wonderful time to be strengthened and to be encouraged. It's a wonderful time as a reminder of why we take communion. Jesus said it's real simple. It's about my body that was broken for you and my blood that was shed for the entire world. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE G-I-V-E to 833-632-1315 or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, 
triumphant grace to you. God bless you.